Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM Community Radio. It is great to have you with us. My name is Andy and I will be your host for the next hour. Today on the Paradigm Shift, I just had a chat with um, Jeff Robinson, author of the book, Being Left Wing in Australia, Identity, Culture and Politics After Socialism. Um, it's a catchy title for the book. It was an interesting chat. I had a great chinwag, actually. It's tough in these times of isolation. You don't get to have many good conversations. And so it was great to have him on the phone. And you will get to hear the fruits of that conversation over the next hour, spaced out with a few nice little songs as well. I do think um, it's a good time to be asking some some big questions, you know, about what kind of society that we want to live in. How can we get there? How can we use the power that we have as, you know, people with agency in this world um, to, to create change? We're in a time of, of great flux, um, a time of sort of crisis, potentially economic crisis and certainly ecological crisis, um, and a time where we have time to think if we, we're going to... Um, Except that we <laughs> that we've just let allowed a temporary totalitarian state in the name of preventing this illness, which may be a good call. It's still worth saying. Well, what you know, what power do we have? We certainly don't want a society that looks like this all the time. What do we want it to look like, and how do we get there? Um, well, I've got this time to talk. So, hopefully, over the next uh, little while on the paradigm shift, while I'll be hanging out with you on Fridays. We'll get to talk with a few people about some kind of big ideas of what kind of world we want and how do we get there. And so maybe this show with Jeff Robinson is a bit of a start of that process. So uh, without further ado, maybe we'll get into this little chat that I had. Could you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, my name's um, Dr. Jeff Robinson. I teach in politics at Deakin University here. Well, I was originally a Labor historian, and I've recently written this book called um, Being Left Wing in Australia. So I'm happy to talk about that book today and some of the ideas and some of the experiences in it I've been thinking about and, yeah, maybe try to tie it through to um, some very current events as well. Mm. 
So can you tell us a bit of the idea of why you wrote this book, Being Left Wing in Australia? I was interested in, you know, to a degree, coming at things from a kind of cultural history perspective. You know, people, I think a lot of the stuff people write about politics is very now focused. You know, it's often very focused on the belief, well, how could people have been so foolish or mistaken in the past and so on? You know, and of course, now in the present, we have the correct answers. So I was trying to think, well, over you know, the last 30 years, you know, since the demise of the socialist project in the 1980s, you know, how have people thought about the project of being left-wing? You know, not just maybe in terms of uh, their big I ideologies, but the things that preoccupied people, the campaigns, you know, even the kind of way of life perhaps that people have come to live. So there is that kind of cultural history aspect there, I think, of trying to think about mentalities and communities about how they've um, changed over time. We've, you know, I think it's a great empathy. I mean, I think I disagree with lots of people, but I, I try to recognise as well the kind of decisions people have made made sense to them at the time. And if we're going to be making better decisions into the future... Yeah, we have to be aware of that factor, I think. So uh, the subtitle of the book is Identity, Culture and Politics After Socialism. And you mentioned just there, since the demise of the socialist project. I mean, that can mean different things, like the sort of the Iron Curtain came down and the Soviet Union collapsed at the end of the 80s. But uh, the sort of processes of neoliberalisation of the economy in countries like Australia happened before that. Where, where do you well, see the end of socialism? Um, well, that's certainly true. And although, you know, things are overshadowed by the collapse of the state socialist model, you know, the 80s in Australia there, um, the story is um, Elizabeth Humphreys, you know, I think it's pointed out in her um, recent book, you know, there were a period of the establishment of neoliberalism in Australia by a Labor government, you know, and by a Labor government that's actually supported by the accord by much of the organised left. And that was a kind of pro, you know, process of people giving up on the vision of a kind of alternative way of organising economic and social relations. You know, even though it was pretty clear that the uh, model represented by the Soviet Union had been a dead end for um, a very long period... I think that um, people in the 80s, I think, progressively gave up on the idea, you know, there is any potential alternative to capitalism and to the way in which capitalism was developing as well, you know, because capitalism was neoliberalising um, during this period as well. And that, I think, was a really significant change. And when that had happened, I think people were directionalist, perhaps, and trying to work out which way to go into the future. Mm. I mean, that period, um, you, your book is about the last three decades, but that begins with this, you know, 12 years of labour in government, but where the idea of what being left-wing really changed because in that era you had the the union accord where some of the union, the right to strike was traded off for a kind of social wage. Uh, you also had this mass privatisation of government assets, but you also had a, a change in, you know, uh, concentration on, say, environmental conservation or Aboriginal issues that became part of the broad left project where before it had been more about, say, workplace rights or, you know, a full revolution. Yeah, I 
think that's very much the case. And uh, it's interesting that you even see... Oh, it seems remarkable that somebody like Paul Keating should attach himself to some of those you know, trends, given his you know, background in the opportunistic, head-kicking Labor right. So I think that was a kind of you know, process, you know, that these issues, to a degree, seem to come from the fringe into the mainstream. And in a sense that for left-wingers who'd moved on from socialism, you know, and who had written off the project of socialism, in a way that, you know, potentially offered up new opportunities, you know, because they were social movements they had historically been associated with and the rise of those social movements to prominence on, you know, the broader left as a whole, you know, within the Labor Party and the Greens and so on, in, in a sense sort of enabled um, um, people to rise to prominence, you know, and I think that was part of this part of the story of the 1990s and the um, noughties as well. Mm. Um, I'm also interested in in that title, identity, culture, and politics, because it is this uh, process where I think you identify the idea of being left wing changes from, uh, you know, attaching yourself to an organisation that could transform all of society to more notions of personal identity and, and even a kind of cultural life. And that's what you depict in your book? I think that's very true. You know, and I think this is a you know, broader trend that we see across the world that, you know, it's the move towards a more kind of reflexive and individualistic politics in, in which people... I mean, I think somewhere in the book I say, you know, that um, sometimes to be left-wing seem to be being inherently anxious and worried about what you were thinking and how you felt about the world. And I've actually subsequently found out actually that Foucault said something like that as well, um, which I wasn't aware of at the time. But, you know, I think this very kind of reflexive, self-aware culture, which in many aspects was good, but maybe also could potentially be paralysing and limiting at times, you know, in terms of people perhaps being encouraged to constantly reflect on, you know, am I thinking the right sort of thing and are my attitudes towards this correct? Well, maybe my attitudes towards this are correct and that makes me left-wing versus these other people who obviously don't have the correct attitudes. So it could be a problematic process. I think the rise of this kind of being left-wing as a kind of identity... Um, yeah, which to where I think it, it had always been in the past. I mean, if you look at, you know, socialists who came out of the working class movement, they were pretty unusual people with a fairly distinctive identity of their own. But, yeah, I think it has become um, more important in recent decades, you know, and it's linked to the rise of university education and people thinking about themselves in these um, um, abstract and analytical um, senses, I think. So that was, that was sort of one of the things that interested me, I think, um, how people now think about themselves. All in.
We're going to play uh, some left-wing songs from the last three decades, uh, given that <laughs> we're talking with Jeff Robinson about uh, left-wing politics over the last three decades. So uh, that one going back to the early 90s, that is Spy vs. Spy with The Working Week. And yes, before that, we were talking with Jeff Robinson, who has written this book, Being Left-Wing in Australia identity, culture, and politics after socialism. Um, let's go back to the chat that I had with Jeff. Yeah, I think this is uh, a big question about, especially in Australia, the the change of the broader left in Australia from what had at one point been quite a, a rural working class 
movement that was held together the left in Australia, I, I guess that changed quite a long time ago and by the time Whitlam got in it was probably no longer the case as that was Labor's base. But um, but still this idea of working class, trade union, um, as the, the cornerstone of the left in Australia to a point where left-wing people can now be characterised by as out-of-touch inner-city elites and uh, some of them would happily sort of take on that that mantle. This change seems to be quite um, significant in Australian politics. I think it has been, and it's been a tendency elsewhere. I mean, I think how you respond to it can be debated. I mean, I mean, I don't think an effective response is to, you know, look nostalgically to an old mass blue-collar rural working-class Labor population, which is a thing of the past, and you know, I think in the book I, you know, sort of say some things about, you know, there's that kind of you know section of the the Labor right in Australia that's sort of nostalgic for that project, sort of Nick Dyer and forth, and the sort of blue Labor people like that. I don't think that's viable, but I think that maybe this inward-looking focus means that you turn away from, you know, what is the potential. You know, mass, if you like, in, you know, sense sort of suburban kind of constituency of the left. You know, how do you appeal, you know, to the um, enrolled nurse, you know, living in an outer suburb, hypothetically, and so on. You know, the people who should be the mass base of the left politics, you know, sense to, you know, the people who are now the contemporary working class, which is, you know, much more diverse, much more represented in the service sector, in education, and so on. And... It's reaching out and mobilising that kind of support base, I think, which is a challenge there, which, yeah, is that kind of nostalgic, let's all go back to the 1940s Labourism, but, you know, I still, still, I think, focused on the working class, but recognises how much the working class has changed um, over recent decades. Mm. We've also seen uh, the kind of culture wars play out and, of course, Howard trying to sort of bring in some of the that disaffected working class, the Howard's battlers kind of idea. And I guess some idea that uh, because the main leftist intellectuals do come from a certain segment of society that they've kind of lost touch with uh, working class people and, and what it means to them, uh, th- th- there's a story that goes that this is part of the breakdown of the left is this kind of... Uh, culture war, do you think that that is a, a significant factor? I think it is. But what what I think about the culture wars is that on one level, you know, you can talk about the left winning the culture wars, you know, in terms of the reaction against sort of individual social conservatism. You know, when you see in a Queensland Labor government, you know, of all Labor governments say, um, you know, legalising access to abortion, for example. Now, 20 years ago, that's not the sort of thing you would have expected to come out of a Queensland Labor government. So on those kind of sort of individual personal autonomy issues, you know, and you could see this with marriage equality, voluntary assisted dying and so on, it's pretty much been one-way traffic, you know, and the marriage equality referendum uh, was... Social conservatives had sort of deluded themselves. They had a popular base. You know, they forced the referendum. They were smashed there. But that's maybe given way to this broader kind of identity issue. You know, these identities of being Australian or normal or being, 
Conservative with a small C, I think that have been more challenging for the left. And you can sort of see the right retreating on that kind of individual social conservatism and moving more towards kind of focus on these kind of collective identity issues. And, yeah, that's turned out to be more challenging, I think. Mm. Yeah, it has, I think... You could say economically, maybe Labor has has shifted to the right over the years, but culturally, the the Liberal Party and Conservatives have sort of come to the left, as you say, with some of uh, some of those issues and something like, um, you know, in the seventies, Fraser abolished Medibank um, after Whitlam had brought it in. It's hard to imagine you know, a Liberal government now trying to do something like that. Um, and in fact, when Tony Abbott tried to bring in a budget that cut away a lot of those things, it was it was never passed. So that is a broader cultural change, isn't it? It is, I think. And, you know, I mean, that's been a process of the right sort of regrouping and organising themselves as well and recognising that, you know, some of these social gains, although they're pretty limited and, you know, if you think of the crisis of bulk billing and so on, um, in the case of Medicare, but it has been a case, I think, of the right recognising that these gains are here to stay and moving away, I think, from the espousal of that kind of fundamentalist economic libertarianism. I mean, you saw a sort of resurgence of that, you know, with Joe Hockey's first budget. Yeah, you know, because Joe Hockey is somebody cast, I think, from that 80s yuppie libertarian small government right. Um, but, you know, I think the backlash against that saw, in a way, the coalition being more pragmatic. There. And, you know, you can see this overseas. You know, it's a problem for British Labour, you know, that Johnson... You know, announces, you know, the end of austerity, there is such a thing as society. I'm going to, you know, spend more money on the health service and so on. Um, on one hand, you can say, well, that's great. You're sort of agreeing with what you've been saying, but voters don't really give a stuff about that, you know, and that's a problem as well. You know, what's... And in the context, say, you know, with the coronavirus response and so on, you know, I can... I, you know, I see people on the left, you know, Celebrating, I think, you know, understandably, you know, the government stepping up to a greater social role. But how do you mobilise on that new terrain? You know, how do you potentially say, well, these things that, you know, the Liberals have done are, are good, but we're going to do a lot more of them or we're going to maintain them into the future? I think that's an interesting question at the moment. That is Jeff Robinson there. Um Let's go to a little track here, another 90s political one. This is Kev Carmody. Control bombs, you and me 
Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. That was Kev Carmody, some strange, strange people from his mid-90s album, Images and Illusions. Um, I love playing Kev Carmody. He's a a Brisbane legend, a Queensland legend, a proud Aboriginal man and a musical innovator. (laughs) A lot of his classic songs are these sort of beautiful folk songs, but he's always experimenting and that song a great example. Um, before that, we were talking with Jeff Robinson, and we'll continue to do so. He's written a book called Being Left Wing in Australia, Identity, Culture, and Politics After Socialism. And he's actually just contacted me, and he has said, if you're interested in reading the book, um, email him. And the first 4 Z listener who emails Jeff Robinson um, we'll get a free copy of the book. There you go, a little giveaway. Um, so you have to email him. He's down in Victoria. So <laughs> but um, there you go, Edward. Um, certainly an interesting topic. Um, let's go back to having a chat with Jeff. In terms of the left as a, a force of government or electoral politics, you could say that the last three decades have been a bit of a failure because you've only had the two terms of Labor, one as a minority government, and yeah. in that time, the left within Labor has been somewhat marginalised. Um, and so, but you you do have this kind of um, cultural change. Is it that the left has shifted away its focus from electoral politics, do you think, or is it just that they're losing one area but maybe picking up gains in another? I mean, I think there are those kind of cultural gains there. And on one level, on the electoral level, I mean, the rise of the Greens. I mean, 30 years ago, you know, if you had said to somebody, well, this party is going to emerge, it's going to be to the left of the Labor Party and it's going to get about 10% of the vote consistently, people would have said, no way is that going to happen. And yet it has, you know, and the Greens have far exceeded, you know, the old Communist Party as a kind of challenge to the Labor Party. But I think... Sometimes it's often the out because, you know, the left has had, you know, this range of priorities and, you know, they've certainly influenced Labor governments, you know, if you look at action on reproductive rights and marriage equality and so on. But the idea of actually having, you know, a kind of program for government, you know, that's going to transform the economic system fundamentally is something perhaps that the Australian left has really hasn't been particularly engaged with, you know, and people overseas have tried to do so. You know, a lot of the 
rhetoric of Corbynism was about saying, you know, well, we're a social movement, you know, but we're actually going to develop this program for government and radical economic transformation. And obviously things didn't work out as they hoped there. But, you know, I think the kind of talking about the Green New Deal and things like that is maybe a really significant shift you know, in terms of actually being able to come up with a program and saying, well, this is what we should do here and now. You know, people are concerned about these issues. This is actually the way to resolve these issues. And that the sort of, you might say, routine and fairly normal concerns that people have about you know, health and safety and their future on a warming planet, you can only be met by radical action. But this is actually radical action you know, that we have a plan to do and implement rather than just saying we need radical action or, you know, we need to express um, a radical kind of identity in our own groups. Mm. Yeah, you, you mentioned Corbyn and another example like the Green New Deal, that kind of um, Alexandria Ocasio-Sanchez, like uh, in the US is kind of trying to bring back a left-wing populism. Um, in Australia, we... People have talked about that as an example, but there is, do you think that the changing focus of the left from, you know, economic issues to a more cultural thing, does that reflect the fact that the left is just economically better off and that uh, these things aren't a priority for the demographic that is, you know, the left intelligentsia? I think... Less so now, perhaps. I mean, I think in some recent years, you know, because I think you're getting the spread of precariety into, you know, wide sections of the university-qualified population. You know, if you work in a university, you only have to see massive evidence of that. You know, of course, the economic upheavals at the moment from the virus are going to encourage that. But also, I think, because, you know, the new working class, you know, has these experiences of precariety and uncertainty, you know, if you think about um, the healthcare sector, you know, the massive reliance of the healthcare sector, for example, on, um, you know, a casualised um, workforce and so on. Um, so those economic issues are definitely out there and they're very important. Um, it's that you need to, you know, present to people perhaps a framework that says, well, you are worried about your, your economic positions, your job security and so on. This is what... Now, a left government could potentially do to fix that. You know, and I think one of you know, the reasons for Labor's failure at the last election was that most voters, I think, were really disengaged from the belief that you know, the government could do anything for them. You know, here was Labor saying, oh, living wage, you know, wages have been too low, we're going to increase them. Well, you know, it was Labor that started the rhetoric of saying, well, wages have to be set entirely by market forces. And they're sort of reaping, in a sense, what that they've sowed in terms of reducing people's faith in the possibility of collective action. Mm. Um, there is, on the other side of electoral politics, there is the, the traditional leftist idea of uh, a revolution that radically changes society. Uh, there's still pockets of the left that sort of have this as an expressed aim, but it seems by and large that this is no longer a model for the, the majority of the left wing. Is that something you would agree with? I would agree with that. You know, I mean, you know, obviously I think you know, the injustices and irrationalities of capitalism and so on you know, are always 
going to encourage in the minds of some people, you know, the idea of a revolutionary alternative, which is understandable. But it's striking, really, that it's never advanced beyond, you know, a small but sort of consistent group. You know, there's that genealogy that goes from, you know, socialist alternatives back into the past and sent, and it's ancestral groups. And they've always been there, you know, and at times they've always provided, you know, cogent and impressive critical analysis. But I think the fact that they've never advanced beyond their milieu suggests that they're not going to do so in the future. And, you know, it was interesting, I suppose, in the context of both the Corbyn and Sanders phenomenon, you know, to see sections of that old left saying, well, we can see in a sense that we weren't going anywhere, you know, that we were just sort of talking to ourselves or to each generation of recruits from campus and that we needed to reach out and develop a broader program. And, you know, however sort of those Corbyn and Sanders projects have, have ended, you know, I think that is... Um, Definitely something to learn from there. That's the one I meant to play. I'm walking down the road where the car yards end. There's bright flags waving in the air. But it don't seem like much of a party here. I don't think so. While this man's sailing and waiting. Cosmic thrills Someone's pulling faces from up above Yeah, I think so Maybe it's all in the way that we strive to be rich Seems like every last one for themselves Well, it's every last one for themselves
That is My Friend the Chocolate Cake there with Took It Away. Um, no, Throwing It Away, sorry. Um, that's a, a great song. I'm enjoying the chance to play some random Australian 90s political songs. Um, we are talking about the last three decades of the left in Australia with Jeff Robinson. Um, and I have one last little bit of that chat with Jeff, so let's go back to that. So you've identified a kind of new left, which of course is not a new term, like that in the late 60s there was a, a new new left. Um, so this might be the new, new left that we're talking about yeah. now. What do you think that, that looks like at the moment and for the future? Well, I think you can see that emerging in Australia in terms of activism uh, around issues around the Glen the Green New Deal and climate action and so on. I mean, and obviously I think on a global basis, the Corbyn and Sanders movements had aspects of them. The challenge, I suppose, is how do you go in a sense from... I mean, they've sort of emerged, I mean, particularly in the case of the Sanders movement, say, and Corbyn, you know, almost in a sense, a kind of top-down process. You know, a political figure has suddenly emerged from obscurity and people have rallied behind him as a kind of political figure. But, of course, you know, political figures come and go and, you know, political projects sometimes win and sometimes lose. But a challenge then perhaps, you know, is building up a kind of broad social movement um, you know, that's actually capable of engaging in communities and reaching out into that potential mass constituency of the um, left and mobilising those people in a sense for a more radical program as well. You know, I think we can see this... You know, it's been interesting, the Sanders movement in America. I mean, it's probably sailed with lots of normal Democrats. You know, if you're a nurse living in Wisconsin, reasonable chance, you know, you voted for Biden over Sanders. You know, why was that the case? How do you sort of broaden your base out there to include those people who are everyday Labor or everyday Greens voters and actually engage in a more radical project of, you know, of just saying, well... We can elect a Labor government that's going to make things a little bit better or we can make the Greens as a stronger voice for good things, but actually towards the vision of a kind of transformative government that's going to change Australian society, perhaps, you know, on the model, perhaps in the sense that the neoliberal revolution did, you know, that could, you know, that could start a process of um, a very different form of Australian society down the track. Mm. We are in a position right now where... Um, there's imminent ecological crisis, climate change, and potentially a, a massive economic fallout from uh, coronavirus. And so uh, potentially we're in a, a position where we do need quite radical change. Do you think from your observation of the left over the last three decades, are we in a position where we can influence that radical change in a, a positive way? I'm feeling a bit pessimistic at the moment, I suppose, because I'm thinking about how people have responded to the COVID crisis. And now I see a lot of congratulation and people saying, well, look, you know, the government stepped up and it's playing a much bigger role in the economy and isn't that something that we support? Well, you know, capitalism has always relied upon the state you know, to play a role in terms of stabilising it and supporting it. And I can also see, you know, the right already beginning to put together a kind of discourse of austerity. 
So I guess we had to do this, but now we've incurred this huge debt and we have to work this off and we have to slim down state apparatus and so on. And I don't see that much of a sign of... I mean, I know it's very early days, but of the left coming together to provide a kind of alternative narrative towards that. Yeah, you know, I think the Green New Deal program could potentially provide that, um, but it probably needs to go further and be more linked to um, people's actual experiences in the here and now, I think. What lessons do you think your book and your study of the past three decades of history have to offer for that project? I think that people should imagine the possibility of a society in which people live quite differently. And whether or not people call that socialism or not, I mean, I think that's perhaps not a particularly important issue. But, you know, the idea that we don't have to live under the current order indefinitely, and that we could imagine quite different ways of living. But also that communicating that kind of vision has to be linked to people's everyday real-life experience. I mean, just banging on about how we are socialists and that's really cool isn't necessarily going to engage with a mass of people to whom that sort of discourse doesn't seem relevant or who don't actually think in those sort of terms. Um, that's the challenge there, I think. You're having a kind of program that's radical, radical enough to face you know, the challenges that we confront in terms of economic crisis, environmental crisis and so on, but one that can also make sense to people in the here and now and that you can rally people behind I think that's difficult, but it's not impossible. You know, I mean, this is what neoliberals did decades ago. You know, they developed the program to respond to a crisis, and they were successful. And it's what you know. If you go right back to postal reconstruction and the American New Deal, that in a sense is what progressives did then. So, yeah, you know, I think there are lessons that can be learned from both of those past experiences. Okay, thanks very much, Jeff. Um, and your book, if people are interested, they can get a hold of it somehow? Um, yeah, well, if you just actually Google being left-wing, I've actually just got a little website from which I'm actually selling some copies, or you can go to um, um, Australian Scholarly Publishing, Bruce a Publisher, and get it there as well. And I know it has appeared in some Brisbane bookshops, so you can go to your bookshop as well. All right, thanks very much, Jeff. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Andy. Great to talk. We dance like New Year's Eve. We, we dance from sheer relief. Everything must change. People that you projected a size with nothing of the sort Sold us all short, put down a champagne No toast to the legacy And all the propaganda of prosperity That's what a machine does and they don't need therapy you Turn us into a nation of haters Fire right at pizza, believe in whatever kept you leader Dog whistle through the speakers, see who bites it Noticed a hell of a lot of people liked it An ethical choice is simpler if you price it Conquer by dividing, that's where you admired him Unless pushed, we would never have retired him Fucking pirate history will damn him once it seemed like nothing could damage him Sasha Liu Chi the way shout up crook you got your ass played in Mandarin
Finally did like that match up and burn down the parliament Learn from the argument, can't be non-partisan When you're an artisan, you put your heart in it That's not even a half of it, like my man said We're talking butter and bread Better if his words were never uttered again Mostly vindictive, who could have predicted Just a few tax breaks to keep us all addicted The dickhead, dictator, leader, imitator Made me feel immature when I said I hate ya Did you read the paper the day after I hear the laughter? I'll read it to you It starts with M Q and ends with you No broader view for the people on your ship Who you used to call crew huh, That's typical, now I guess it's difficult For the type of person only thinks of individual No residual, you'll see our resilience Take it back and ball ahead for the pavilion The king is dead, they cried off with his head Everything must change Everything must change The Herd there with The King is Dead, of course, commemorating the uh, moment where John Howard was voted out and the left um, <laughs> came, uh, got an election win. We have been talking about the left in Australia over the last three decades with Jeff Robinson, who you may have heard before that song, who has written a book called Being Left Wing in Australia identity, culture, and politics after socialism. Um, and he has very kindly offered that the first Triple Z listener who emails him can get a copy of the book for some good uh, home isolation reading. If you want to <laughs> send him an email, it is jeffrey.robinson at deakin, D-E-A-K-I-N dot E-D-U dot A-U. Or you can get, uh, there's a website for the book, but, um, yeah, get amongst it, um, get some good reading. I do 
recommend you use your time at home wisely if you are one of those people who are, who are most of us, who are spending a lot of time at home. Um, plenty of good books to read, plenty of good ideas to think about and plenty of good community radio to listen to, of course, on 4 Z. And so keep, um, keep tuning in, keep contributing if you can, subscribe, um, be a part of the station and um, let's, yeah, let's build the kind of society that we want. We're in a time of change and we have the opportunities to, um, yeah, live a, a way that is different. There's, it's certainly an unusual time, but um, you have to be open to taking these opportunities when they come for change. And so it's worth analysing what's going on and it's worth trying to learn lessons from the past as we have been today um, in an attempt to influence the future. Um, we're nearly coming to the end of Paradigm Shift for another day. We've been playing some political songs in the last three decades. Maybe I'll play a, a brand new one out of Melbourne. This is When Our Turn Comes with Break the Rules. It may require a little language warning. Break the Rules. Of course, When Our Turn Comes, 
new record out of Melbourne and they are a band who, I guess, in their vision of a, a radical future, it focuses on a, a radical union past and that's certainly a part of Australia's legacy and potentially a part of our future. And I think it's worth, yeah, weighing up these different things, elements of um, historical change and questioning how how they affect us going forwards. Um, I think the the questions, yeah, about how the left, how it relates to the average person, it is an interesting question and a com- complicated one because as we were talking about before, we've seen sort of radical changes in culture that, and in the election as well of Greens with you often get this kind of rhetoric about how the Greens are irrelevant or how thing, yeah, we don't have the capability of affecting elections in the, the way that we once did. But still, the, we have seen that change and there's certainly been a cultural change. Uh, the question is, can we change more enough to avert uh, ecological crisis or or potential economic crisis. Let's go out with a classic bit of 90s political hardcore punk to finish off, and I'll catch you next time. This is the Walsh Street Cop Killers with Advanced Australia Fair.